0: League of Women Voters and the Recording Library of West Texas present Tall City Elections. Here's your host, Michael Todd.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Tall City Elections Podcasts. My name is Michael. This program is dedicated to providing information about the upcoming local elections as we make it accessible to our listeners who are visually impaired. The Tall City Elections 2021 podcast is a collaboration between the Recording Library of West Texas and the League of Women Voters. We want to thank all of our supporters for making this possible. With us today is Dan Corrales, at-large candidate. Thank you for taking time to be with us today, Dan.
0: Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: Um, Before we get into the issues-related questions, I wanted just to ask this. You know, since we've been through so much, all of us, in the last year and a half, would you mind telling us how you and your family have coped through just such an
0: unprecedented time? It has been a very challenging time. And I think when you go through a rough patch like this, it really says something about your character about who you are, about your community, about your family. Coming together in times that really the adversity. We had never been through something like this before where all was negative. Um, Our businesses, no one was coming in the door. We didn't know how we were going to keep the lights on. We were afraid. Um, For us, it was knowing we had to come together as a family and the things that matter most, I think, came out from this. You appreciate your family, your parents, your grandparents, people that we may have lost. There's a newfound appreciation for time because you realize how precious. But also, having to survive a down cycle that is unlike any other that we've had, and then to get hit with. COVID and negative oil at the same time. Our businesses have survived because we had to adapt. Our community has had to adapt and our businesses have had to adapt. And that's one of the things that I think our government also has to adapt. One of the reasons that I'm running is because we are in a new world now. Everything that we are doing now is different. And we have to appreciate that That affects all parts of our lives, from business, home, community, but also government.
1: What has motivated you uh, to make this run for city council?
0: Realizing that people want to be heard, and they want their local government to make decisions based on their input. They don't want to be ignored. And when you look at things like Nueva Vista and the development there, 1,600 people have come out and voiced their opinion that they are against development. The city staff stated that they recommended denying the application. uh, And unfortunately, it still was passed. So it'll go before city council and all of these residents will come back again to tell the local government, the city council, they don't want it. But those are some of the things that, motivated me was that I think the public wants to feel that their elected officials are listening to them, that they're trying to earn their vote, that they're going out there and block walking, not just putting up a sign and say, hey, vote for me. Earn it. Go to where the people are. Don't expect them to come to you. But really, it's just a selfless service. My grandmother was on the city council in the 80s, and she instilled in me a great sense of civic duty. Um, I served my country. I worked as a prosecutor, so I know what it's like to work for municipal government. And when you look at the $25 a month that the city council pays, it's obviously not (laughs) for, for what the job pays. It's because you believe in serving. I served on over seven different nonprofits. I'm on the board of Bynum School where my son's a student. And it changes my perspective when I vote on that. I'm on the Rotary Club of Midland board. I'm on the Lions Club board. We gave over a thousand backpacks away right before school started. Um, it changed my perspective on the need of the city. When I deliver meals on wheels, and you see seniors on a fixed budget, and some of them have perhaps a handicap, they can't see or they can't hear. You know, my grandpa's AC years old, we had two e replacements. You can't just say we're at property taxes, and think that our seniors on a fixed budget are just going to be able to come up with that. We have to manage our tax dollars more wisely, and we have to do a better job.
1: What are some of your priorities if you are elected?
0: The platform that I've been talking about are things that I get from block walking and talking to people. Our roads need improvement. Yes, they're working on them now, but the, the, the road bond is about to finish. We still have over 400 million in infrastructure that needs to be worked on. But I don't think raising property taxes is the way to do that. I think it's something you should put on the ballot and ask voters, do you want us to get a bond again? Do you want us to get a certificate of obligation? Uh, you know we have the quarter percent coming back up probably in a year or two. Is that something that they would be interested in raising the sales tax that people that come from out of town, like for the oil show, contribute to this economy? If you think about that, how many people come to Midland that don't live in Midland, don't pay property tax? The sales tax is the only way that we can get them to contribute. Our parks, same thing. We built the Scarborough Sports Complex and paid it off early, actually. Um, So we don't have to do a public-private partnership for parks to make them better. That worked for Centennial Park, because it was different. It was the county courthouse and county plan. But when you talk about Hogan Park, it's a public park right now. If you make it a public-private partnership, you put control of it in the hands of the Conservancy. And I'm not sure that that's the best thing for Midland. Again, it should be put on the ballot and let voters choose. Supporting our first responders is another one I did a ride along with a police officer from 5 p.m. to 2 in the morning. That changes your perspective on what that job, putting on a bulletproof vest and strapping on a firearm on your hip every day to serve and protect. And some of the people that you serve and protect don't really appreciate you all that much. And that's got to be tough to go in day in and day out. So I support our first responders I've been to every fire station in the city, including the one out at the airport that has uh, some pretty cool fire trucks a little different from the rest because they have to fight uh, aircraft fires but my priority is to talk to everyday people get information from the city staff with boots on the ground, go out to landfill go out to wastewater um, talk to the people in transportation, and then talk to city management but What I learned in the military was you have to be on the front lines with your boots on the ground where the metal meets the meat. And you get a different perspective leading by example as opposed to being an armchair general that never sees the front.
1: Well, and what you say about first responders and so forth leads perfectly into my next question. And it it goes back to the pandemic and how— the city and other entities have responded to it over the last—over the past year or so. Um, you know, it, is, it has impacted everything—the hospital, first responders, MISD, the mayor's office, the city council, our economy, as you said, you know, from uh, the energy industry, but then also the retail and hospitality industries. So in regards to the city, how do you think that it's it re- has responded to the COVID crisis? And what learning experiences do you think we can take from that— which could be applied to much more routine decisions that the city leaders regularly make.
0: I think the city council has done a very good job of supporting Midland Memorial with a lot of the federal funding that has come in and could have been used for a plethora of different things. But there was allocation of a lot of that money to the hospital. And I've been there a couple of times myself, actually more than I (laughs) care to have been, In 2017, I choked on a piece of chicken. My heart, I choked to death. My heart stopped beating for 25 minutes. And they got me to the hospital, got my heart going again, put me in a coma. Um, And said I'd never wake up. And through the miracle of God, through the doctors there, they brought me back to life. So I owe them a debt of gratitude for saving my life. But think of how many other people, they have gone through that. Um, we recently lost a family member, and my wife had to even turn the machine off. Nurses, doctors, and support staff see that every day. It's not easy. Right. So right. you have to support them. And the city has to make decisions supporting our first responders, whether we're talking EMS, that last year we're receiving calls left and right to bring people in. We were understaffed for the amount of stuff that was coming in, a number of people. And the decisions that the council makes have to be in line with what the community needs. Now, unfortunately, Governor Abbott has issued executive orders, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, but that limits what the city council can do. So it takes some control away from local government. And I think that's something that people maybe don't understand is that they cannot issue a mask mandate Um, Only the governor can do that. Um, That that changes what the city council can do. But what we should be doing as individuals is also advocating for personal responsibility. If you know that you can put on a mask and reduce the spread of something, that's your right. I also respect the right that people don't want to do it, but I understand that if I'm going to go do Meals on Wheels... I'll put a mask on because I understand the seniors I'm delivering to may be in jeopardy. And so those are things that our city council maybe can't make a decision on, but can lead by example and saying, I understand that we have to deal with this, and this is what I'm going to do personally. Um, I give an example. I drink out of a two-liter bottle of soda every now and then, and my son picks up that bottle and does the same thing. So it doesn't matter what I tell him. He's going to emulate me. He's going to copy my behavior. And I realize that as a leader in our community, people will do the same. If you were doing the right thing, you'll have more people following along doing the right things. And
1: with regard of what you just had brought up related to Governor Abbott, I, I do have a question that relates to that I want to get to here in just a moment. But first, to continue with uh, the area of healthcare. One area that has had more awareness uh, is the lack of access to mental health, and that's not something that has occurred during the pandemic. Even before the pandemic, access to mental health care in Midland has been challenging. There are few psychiatrists and few affordable options for therapy, and it's not unique to Midland. It's not Midland's fault. It's, it's just the way it is. Um, I can't think— of a way that the city council can take on this problem by itself. But shouldn't the council recognize that this is a problem and maybe look for ways to facilitate solutions for mental health care?
0: Absolutely. If you look at what Midland Development Corp. did with Texas Tech and their Physician's Assistant Program, I think 60 to 70% of the PAs in Midland come from Tech. And they helped build that facility there at Midland Memorial. So if we can do that for PAs, why can't the city and Midland Development Corps put together resources to create something just like that for psychiatrists and psychologists and bring in people for mental health? Um, During the ride along with the police officer, that was one of the biggest concerns. He says we have people that aren't committing a crime but you can tell that they need some help with their mental health and we have very limited resources. So we know across the board, we need help with that. So why shouldn't our city council and Midland Development Corp be using tax dollars to create some sort of center like we have for the physician's assistance and work with Texas Tech or work with another college, UTPB or something? to increase the training and, from a grassroots perspective, increase our labor pool of people that work in mental health.
1: Yes, I agree. That I totally agree. In your October 2nd column, going back to what you had mentioned about Governor Abbott, in your October 2nd column in the Midland Reporter-Telegram, you mentioned that the city should follow federal and state laws. And one state regulation you mentioned is Governor Abbott's ban on mask mandates, like you mentioned a moment ago, uh, by cities, and how you would be against a mandate because it would open up the city of Midland to a lawsuit. And you also mentioned that you yourself are a business owner. So I'd like to ask about another pandemic-related order. Governor Abbott has stated that under the Texas Disaster Act, he's banning business owners from issuing their own vaccine mandates— And regardless of whether a business owner wants employees to be vaccinated or they don't care, should the governor have the power to tell business owners how they have to deal with vaccinations on their property to say that the business owner, they can't force employees to be vaccinated or that unvaccinated customers have to wear masks on their property?
0: It's a very slippery slope when you have a leader in government taking liberties away and telling people, you can or cannot do something. And that's perhaps the attorney in me that doesn't agree with that. I think if you want to take the vaccine, that is your personal decision. Um, I have pre-existing conditions because my heart's stopping for 25 minutes and I could have adverse effects from certain things. I think every person is entitled to make that decision. And I think every business owner is also has a right to make that decision of whether you would like for your employees to have a vaccine or not. And if they don't want to work there, that's their decision as well. I don't agree with the governor's order. I think businesses should be able to say, we would like to have this policy as most businesses do. They have a policy. If you want to work there, they're going to drug test you. So, If you're going to have a problem with the drug test, obviously you're not going to work there. So for me, that's my position on it. The freedoms that the Constitution of this country and the state of Texas give us should not be impinged upon executive fiat. And I kind of see that that's what's happened with our governor, unfortunately.
1: Now I'd like to move on to a couple of questions that go back again to uh, many of our listeners who are seniors. The first one is about quality of life. And many of them, they have low vision or no vision, and that creates additional challenges in their day-to-day lives. One of the biggest challenges, and we hear it, we've heard it every year that I've worked at the recording library, public transportation. How would you improve transportation access to seniors and to those with visual disabilities in Midland to help them be more independent and do things like going to the grocery store, going to their doctor?
0: Having... Lived in larger cities. I've lived in New York City. I've lived in Europe in large cities there as well. Uh, Public transportation is an equalizer, it gives people the freedom to not have to have a car to get around. And in Midland, Texas, that's tough. So look at the shelters for the easy rider. I've actually gotten on the bus and seen how long it takes. And there is nothing as unforgiving as West Texas. So in front of pristine organic cleaners that my wife and I own by H-E-B, there's an easy rider stop and there was no shelter there. So when you're waiting for about 45 minutes in the summer, in the sun, you could have a heat strip. So why are we not looking to increase the shelters we have for bus stops and increase access to public transportation? It's funded mostly by federal money. This isn't property tax money that's paying for that bus. Um, I'm pretty sure on the council we can get more funding for those shelters if we're showing that we're making a concerted effort to invest in public transportation so that people that may not have a vehicle, for whatever reason, maybe it's in the shop, maybe you just don't have one, but you can still get around you can still get to the grocery store you can get still get to the farm there's a usually an uh, easy rider stop by a or a Walgreens in town and that's been the difference if you actually get on the bus and see where it goes you'll understand what that does for people but I can't say um, what other city council representatives have taken the time to do that you got to go where people are and use the public transportation and see things from their perspective, it changes how you view things. And one of
1: the places I'm wondering if if you have gone are visiting the senior centers. Um, Many of of their activities, of course, had to be curtailed because of the pandemic. But as things are kind of slowly coming back online, Do you see this as an opportunity to look at how the senior centers are serving their guests and possibly incorporating some new ideas?
0: It's, it's funny that you asked that because I was at the Southeast senior center talking to Iris Hall Sanders yesterday and understanding the difficulty that that's presented during the pandemic, because they didn't have access to those resources, but also, understanding the city has to fund these senior centers so that they have the opportunity to use the computers that are there, to use the exercise equipment that's there, to play bingo. They were at 10 o'clock this morning, they're playing bingo at the Southeast Senior Center. Um, those resources are important for the people that have provided us with the opportunities that we have. Again, my grandpa's 87. I would not have the opportunities that I've had if it were not for what he has done for my father and for me. So when we talk about our senior, do we appreciate everything that they have done for us? And you have to reciprocate that. So going to Kappa and seeing what they do there. Um, if you look at all the names etched in the cinder block on the wall, those are leaders in our community that appreciate what they provide, for example. Dito and Bertha Sachs were on there. Uh, Paul and Jim Henry were on there. Uh, The other senior center also of Illinois. So, going to Santa Rita, going to Park, and understanding what these facilities provide, the city council makes a determination on the budget and the funding that goes to them. We should be looking at increasing that, not decreasing that. And if you go there and you spend time talking to the people, there. Go to a bingo game at 10 o'clock. You'll see what that provides for our seniors. So I, I value the importance of that, and I am advocate for it, um, not just lip service, but I actually go there.
1: It, it is truly, as you say, um, like with block walking or, like you say, going out to where the people are, in this case, the senior center, one of the best ways to get feedback—we uh, did that recently— And we heard feedback about our our radio station for the visually impaired, and and it's so invaluable to hear that from people. Let's go to infrastructure. Um, First, if we could talk about streets, water, sewer, uh, kind of the meat and potatoes of city council, where you see them now, how we make improvements, and how do we pay
0: for those? So one of the things when it comes to infrastructure is how do we work smarter and not just harder? This has been economic Darwinism that we have gone through the last year and a half, and businesses have had to adapt. If you had a contract from a boom in 2019, you were going back to renegotiate that in the pandemic. Is our city council doing the same with the purchasing department and all the contracts that we have that – may have had an extension that was up and we should be rebidding it out working with other tax entities i go to county commissioners court so much that people thought i was running for county i'm not i'm running for city council but the reason i'm there is because i understand how they can work together for an economy of scale the county and the city worked on fair Grimes road and by working together they actually saved money so When we look at the needs of the city, how can the city work with the how can the city work with Midland Development Corp? They made an investment in infrastructure, so we don't have to be an army of one. The city council doesn't have to do all these things by itself. Do we have people on the council that understand that, that can appreciate those relationships? What's under the ground? You've got water lines, you've got sewage lines, you've got gas. That's Atmos, that's private. You've got electric, that's Encore, that's also private. It's like an old pier and beam house. When I go underneath the floorboard and they're at the galvanized water line, you could fix two feet of that pipe when it rots out, but you know that you got to go probably another 10, 15 feet, maybe even replace the whole line. So you replace the feet, put the floor back, then it springs a leak and damages the floor. And you've got to dig up the, you know, pull the floor up again and go and replace another section of pipe. Let's work smarter and not harder. Let's address all those things when we open up the asphalt and dig. Are we replacing everything that we can at that moment? Water, sewer, gas, electric. So we're not putting the asphalt back and then two months later coming back up and tearing up the road that we just paved because something else went bad. How do you pay for all that? Put it in front of the voters. Let's make an honest assessment. What are our needs? What are the things that can be done that aren't in need, but for economy of scale, it makes sense to do it? So instead of the two feet of pipe, let's do the whole pipe. And then what are our wants? What are our dreams? What would we like to do? Have a dollar cost affi- fixed for each one of those stages. What our needs are, what it makes sense to do, and then what we would dream of doing. And then let the voters know, hey, this is where we stand. This is what will cost to fix this. And put it on the ballot. Taxpayers want to have a say in how government spends their money. So be transparent with them. Let them know what the costs are likely to be. What would be smart to do. Spend a little bit money up front. If you look at the concrete intersections, anyone that paved their driveway with asphalt in the 80s in Midland knows you had to go back and repave it. But if you did what Bobby Cox did and put concrete parking lots at Roses, at Texas Burger, and Taco that lasts a lot longer. So it costs you more up front, but we're not kicking the can down the road for our children to fix the things that we chose not to do the right way up front.
1: Well, as a follow-up to what you just said, another candidate mentioned something similar about streets being torn up for— some sort of utility work, and then a short time later after the work is completed, that same street being torn up again for more utility work. Is this something that's happening?
0: It does happen. There are various reasons for why it happens. There are so many roads and streets that I can't say that they're all uniform, that that's happening for the same reason. What I can say is that our planning could be better. If we know that we're gonna open up a street and we know what's underneath it, are we reaching out to Encore? Are we reaching out to Atmos? Are there telecom lines? Do we need to reach out to the cable company or the AT&T? Those are things that you wanna give a heads up to anyone that might have something in the ground. Maybe there's a a pipeline, for example. I also have sat down with the city engineer, Jose Ortiz, and I understand that some of the times when they dig up the street, they run into something that's unexpected. If you work in construction, for example, my family, we tore down a gas station that was a cleaners on Florida and we built the golden chick. And there were things that we ran into that were unexpected. That's kind of the name of the game in construction. Sometimes the city gets a bad reputation for coming back to work on something that they had just worked on two months prior, but it may not be their fault. It may genuinely have been something that was unexpected. So I won't say across the board, they're just doing a bad job and going back and working on the same thing they worked on. Sometimes there's something unexpected.
1: And it it does seem like like what you mentioned, there are so many entities that may have something under the streets. It would take a lot of planning and legwork to coordinate all that with these different entities, but but it's not an impossibility. It's just something that needs to be planned and done. So that's that does seem like something that that could be done.
0: Working smarter and not necessarily just harder. Before you'd mentioned something
1: about being transparent. Um, Now that we're towards the end of the money for the bond, for the infrastructure improvements, looking back, do you think that it was invested wisely? And do you think the city has been transparent with how they spent the bond money?
0: I think they've done a good job at fixing the majority of the things that were on the itinerary. Whenever you set goals for yourself, I think a lot of times you have to have a contingent plan and be prepared that We want to do 100% of this, but the likelihood is we may only get to 80% because of things that are unexpected and there are additional costs. They've worked on a lot of roads. They've learned from making mistakes. If you look at Thomason, I think they ran into something there that they did not expect. So when you fail at something, it's not a lost cause if you learn from it if you realize we can do this better, we made a mistake, we know what led to that mistake, let's not repeat that. So when we talk about the next bond, I think we have to do a genuine assessment of where the bond the first time around was successful, where were the mistakes, and how do we make sure that we don't repeat that moving forward? So I think for the most part, they did a good job, they worked on a lot of streets, they have got a lot done, it's a headache because there are cones everywhere. There are, you know, roads closed all over the city. But that is part of keeping up with aging infrastructure that to some degree had been ignored for a while. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. The city had not kept up with the roads over the last 15, 20 years, and we're playing catch up. But knowing that we're playing catch up, how do we work best to get to where we need to be? And that's like I said, working with the county, pooling our resources, working with Midland Development Corp, doing things in synergy so that we can catch up and do a better job the second time around with the bond.
1: And it's to be fair, it's not it's not only Midland um that has kind of kicked the can down the road. As you say, it's uh my hometown, my original hometown of San Angelo, uh, I narrate the San Angelo newspaper every week for the recording library. And over the past year, San Angelo leaders, city leaders have come under fire from, from citizens in that city because of because of roads, the streets. And they seem like they have done the same thing. They did not have a plan in place for regular upkeep of the streets, and now there's— they're starting one, but it's it's going to take a long time for it to get up to speed and to complete all the roads.
0: It's it's going to take a while. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars in infrastructure. We'll be able to get there. We just have to start. You know, if you've ever seen a roofing job on a house, it's like, wow, this is going to take forever. And you just hear the nails going into the roof all day, every day. You eventually do get your roof back. Um, and the construction is over, but if you never start, you'll never complete it.
1: Well, and one of the candidates mentioned something that just came that, that stayed with me. They said, it's not cheap. It's not pretty. And it's going to take a long time. And it's kind of like, wow, that's, that's really having to feed the citizens or the voter, uh, you know, some medicine, you know, it's like, this is the hard truth.
0: It is. There will be more roads closed. There will be more construction. But it's unfortunately a necessary evil for us to get to where we need to be. Not just with the roads. Understand the water lines underneath it um, and the costs that are incurred. If you don't replace a water line that you know is old and it bursts under the street, you are paying more for that emergency. So, for example, in your home. There's a water line that, you know, has a clamp on it, a repair clamp. And then one day it springs a leak on a Saturday and you've got to call a plumber to come work overtime. They've got to dig up the floor. They've got to work on that pipe. Now that's going to cost you a lot more money than if you had scheduled it during the weekday, when you plan to turn the water off, when you plan not to be inconvenienced as much. So are we using that same logic when we plan on our infrastructure? The city pays a lot of money in emergency repairs. And when we talk about reducing our property taxes or not paying more, it can be done. We just have to be more efficient in the way that we spend our tax dollars. It seems like
1: everywhere, but it seems like um, with everything from school buildings to water lines, there was a great deal of growth and build out in post-World War II, 50s and 60s, and now we're in 2021, and we're still, to a great extent, using those same things that were not meant—the lifespan was really not designed to go this long.
0: No, I think when you look at—when the this when they built the infrastructure of the city, it was not designed for what you see today. And we have added on and added on and added on. And now we have planning and zoning and a city council that looks at, is this something that we are planning correctly? Are we planning it properly? And in doing so, you have to identify in your existing infrastructure, what are you going to get longevity out of? And my son, he's a student at Bynum School, and they have a needs-based approach. Each student has an individualized education plan based on what they need. And I like that because when you look at the city, shouldn't we be employing the same practice? Shouldn't we be looking at what needs attention immediately? And perform triage, if, if we can analogize it that way. Look at what you got to work on, address those immediate concerns, and then you can move on to the things that you would like to do. But understanding that those emergencies, that those things that need attention immediately... We should be addressing them as opposed to waiting. Well, I think we can get by. That's not going to bust right now, just yet. We have old infrastructure here. I mean, I've spoken to people that work in construction and they talked about the conditions of the clay pipe that we have underground. Um, there was a lot that was not intended to last this long. And we've allowed it to continue because we didn't want to pay more. And I think you can still do that without increasing property taxes if you just work more something
1: that i've I've mentioned before in other interviews is is uh something that I was taught when i when I was starting radio in in regards to the audience, and that was tell them what you're going to do, do it, and then tell them what you have done and in regards to say the the infrastructure bond, which you say largely was was a good bond and successfully carried out, in order to gain the trust—because people naturally just are resistant to taxes and, and m- their money going toward things—would it be a more successful sell in the future for future things if the city would go back after something has been done, such as this bond, and say, look— This is what we told you from the beginning we were setting out to do. This was the budget. This was the time frame. This is how it was carried out, how much we actually spent, how long it actually took, and these are the improvements that we made. To be able to to get the voter to maybe down the line, trust the next bond that might come up, that their money is going to be spent wisely.
0: You have to be candid with taxpayers and your constituents. You got to break it down in a manner in which they can understand what you're saying. When I go to the doctor, the doc, just tell me like I'm five years old, because some of that terminology you're using there, I don't get it. And I'll be candid with you. If it weren't for my construction background, I probably wouldn't be as familiar with a blueprint or how to read a schematic. So when you break that down for voters, you got to do it in a way where they can understand and digest it easily because you can over-explain something and bombard people with too much information to kind of prevent them from understanding what you're saying or doing. Mm -hmm. I think that this bond, part of the cost that they should be including in every bond moving from here on out is an after action report. Like you'd have in the military, right? You have an assessment after the project is done and you have somebody that's required to, Put a presentation together for the public and then how you communicate that to the public. Um, That's one of the things we could use improvement from our city. You're backing out of your driveway and you see a road closed sign and that was the first communication you got from the government that that was going to be closed. That's not good communication. So just putting something in the newspaper or just putting something on a website I think there are better ways for the city to communicate all of these things to the public. I have campaigned using the Midland Reporter Telegram, using the radio, using the post office, using signage on the roads, block walking, knocking on doors, going to public events, a array of community and that should be the same from our city. To maximize their ability to communicate with the people that they work for. Let's not forget that the taxpayers, the constituents are shareholders. That city council is a board and the mayor is the CEO. And say Nike is not doing a good job, those shareholders vote them out. And I think we should have that same accountability for our city government.
1: Dan, I just thought of this when you were talking about what if there were someone, you know, this is out of the box, but. What if someone who works for the city or someone on council uh, who just has a, a general broad knowledge of most things that are going on, what if they were set up at a booth at the farmer's market every weekend when the farmer's market was open so people could go up and ask questions?
0: I agree with you. If you look at the Low Street Micro Market, I have been there every month going back four months. So I'm down at Centennial Park the first weekend of the month and there's has been a for city council booth. And that's when I say, go to where people are. Don't expect people to come to you. Why do we not have that same outreach from our incumbents? Why do we not have local elected officials that are looking to communicate with the public? That's your job, you represent them. So shouldn't talking to them to hear what they want matter? So I agree, I I think the farmer's market, you have a merch market in front of Perch across from the stadium, uh, Memorial Stadium. There's another one there in the Bush Convention Center. They recently had one where they had a bunch of vendors. So if you know people are gonna be there, why not spend a hundred bucks, rent a table, and just say, hey, I'm here for your questions. Have meet and greets, not just when you're running for office, have them routinely. Those, th- It's important.
1: I like that. You brought up parks earlier, and that's a quality of life issue. I know that we have a lot of pressing issues in so far as money, some of which we've talked about here. Is it an either or choice where it comes to parks? People are like, we don't need to mess with the parks because we've got to deal with the roads. Well, we do have finite resources, though, so... What's your vision for the parks? Uh, I know that you said public-private is not the answer in every situation, but what are some some creative ways to look at funding improvements to what we have?
0: When you look at Centennial Park, it presented an opportunity for a park to make money. It's really weird because you have that stage. They can set up markets like uh, Low Street has been doing. So when we talk about investing in parks how do we do it do we do it where it's just a constant expenditure and some places that's just a city park is that look at dennis the menace it was opened in the 50s and i'm sure they had the same question when they built that park we had invested money in renovating it but can you do that for every park so when we look at hogan say we did a bond for that as opposed to a private-public partnership, could we make Hogan a way where there are opportunities to generate revenue? So it's not just property taxes paying for it. There are other revenue streams that we could be exploring. It doesn't have to be entirely, well, the only way to do this is to raise property taxes or the only way to do this is a public-private partnership. I think we should explore what the options are and put that before voters. Don't make judgments on the council without involving your constituents. So if you want to rate sales tax like they did for the Scarborough Sports Complex and build the $40 million complex and pay it off early like they did, put that before voters. If you want to do a public-private partnership and then put $10 million towards that $55 million that you're looking to raise, which the city council recently did, Involve members in the community, the people that live around that park in particular. If you want to do something like Opportunity Park, which Steve Davidson did for his son, Chris, it was completely private money. But then you have a private park that has to be funded by some kind of endowment. We can't do that for all the parks. There's a plethora of ways that we can do something. We should not be limiting ourselves to just this is the only way it can be done. But more importantly, are we involving the voters in the decision-making process? That is what people want from their elected officials—to be involved and to hear what they're about and make decisions based on what we, the people, want.
1: Earlier, Dan, you'd mentioned the Midland Development Corporation. There was there was actually a story a few days ago that the. MDC had sold 58 acres of the David Mims business park on I-20 for uh, over $2 million. How do you feel about Midland Development Corporation?
0: I think they have phenomenal new leadership. Sarah Harris has done a great job at trying to take Midland Development Corp in a direction that benefits the city in its entirety. Um that has been something that has been a sore spot for some people because of decisions made under past leadership but with Wesley Bounds as the chair i think we've seen a different direction from the board and the investment in infrastructure the investment in business understanding what why was it created it was created to diversify so we're not just relying on oil and gas now i understand oil and gas does predominantly, that's what our economy is based on. But we can be exploring other options to bring other things to Midland. When you have people come here on a tour of duty for an oil and gas company, the number one complaint is there's nothing to do. Um, I can't find any place to do something with my kids or my wife or my husband. Let's try to make Midland more appealing. Let's in- improve our quality of life. For the people that live here, And for the people that are coming here, we have seen a diverse array of people coming from all over. One of the interesting things about working in the dry cleaners, we ask for your phone number to send you a text to pick up your clothes. A lot of those phone numbers are not 432. We are having people come from all over, from Arkansas, from Oklahoma, Houston, Dallas, California, Arizona. I've even seen a New York number. Midland is becoming a bit of a melting pot, and it's for the better. If you look at cast iron, it's it's strong, but it's also very brittle when it's cold. If you add an alloy to it, make it steel, it's much stronger as a result. And I view Midland that way. The people that are coming are helping make it into like that alloy of steel, and we're better for it.
1: Uh, continuing with what you just said about the melting pot, this question is a great lead into to my next question. Last month, Southwest announced they're resuming nonstop flights to and from Austin. What improvements to the economy and quality of life do you see resulting from those flights?
0: Improving access for us to go to other cities without having to drive there, anyone who's had have have, have driven to Austin know it's not a straight shot like it is to Dallas on an interstate being able to conduct business and have people come to Midland, that sales tax money, I'm not sure people understand the importance of the hotel motel tax or sales tax, but the more convenient that you make it for people that don't live here to come here and do business here, like the oil show, think of all the sales tax money and hotel motel tax money that comes in and what that funds. I'm on the board of the arts council at Midland in addition to a number of other nonprofits like Bindham School, Midland Teen Corp., a plethora of other. But the hotel motel tax money helps fund those nonprofits and understanding the good that they do in our community. It's all interrelated, and it, it may be hard for some people to see that bigger picture of why that ability to travel from Austin to Midland makes the big difference, but it does bring a lot of revenue into the city. It also helps improve our business relations with Austin and other cities. And that money being invested into Midland helps us have a better quality of play through those nonprofits and through the many other things that the hotel motel tax money funds and that our sales tax money funds.
1: Earlier, you had mentioned uh, in terms of what you're hearing as you've been doing your block walks and meeting with people Uh, the streets and infrastructure. What, What other thoughts are you hearing from Midlanders right now? What are their concerns?
0: Feeling like their voice is heard. They want to feel as if elected officials, and those that are appointed by elected officials on commissions, you have the Animal Services Commission. And when I go, here's the thing you have the opportunity to hear from Midlanders when you attend these meetings. So going to the Parks and Rec Commission at the MLK, the Animal Services Commission at the MLK, the MDC board meetings at the Chamber of Commerce, going to the county commissioner's court meetings, these things help give you information from voters, not just from block walking. And then hearing what the commission, the appointed members, appointed by council, have to say how they interact and whether they represent what people are asking for. And so when we talk about animal services, they want more money allocated for the voucher program because it's wise to reduce our feral population and not have to pay more for animal services to go out, pick up strays, put them in the new shelter, which we just invested a lot of money in because we had so many dogs and cats coming in. So what's smarter, to ignore that problem and just spend more money trying to clean it up later or nipping it in the bud at the root? Same with Parks and Rec. You have these presentations on city council is gonna do this at Hogan Park. Were they hearing what the average Midlander had to say at the Parks and Rec Commission meeting? Was the liaison from the city council even there? Those things matter. Going to these meetings and talking to everyday people, do we have elected officials and appointed officials that recognize they want to be heard by their—that's the biggest concern that I hear. And amongst them is roads, infrastructure, parks. I don't really hear people complain about first responders, but again, if you go to every fire station like I have and talk to firefighters and understand. They work two days on and four days off. So a lot of them don't live here because they can't afford it. The average house is $371,000. So if you make $50,000, how do you afford that? If you have a family and you have to put food on the table. These are things that affect our city workers. These are things that affect the people that work in this city. What are we doing to facilitate making Midland better. Can we change the market price of a house? No, the council can't do that. But we can employ practices with our planning and zoning department to make it more developer-friendly but responsible development. Not something like we have in Nueva Vista where the community says they don't want this, the city staff recommends against it, and somehow the commission still approves it. Listen to vote.
1: I have—we're going to end with a a fun question here in just a moment, but my last question before that is, what would you say to the voters as to why they should vote for you?
0: I understand what it is to earn something. The American dream is made possible by working hard, and I have been working for votes. I have been earning votes. I announced early in June other— Candidates are saying, well, historically, you don't start campaigning until Labor Day. Why? School started a whole month early. People were here. You could reach out to them. You could put things in the paper. They would read it. You can go and knock on their doors. They would be there. I started in June, and I've been out there every day working hard to talk to people so that they understand votes are earned. They're not freely given. I will put in the work. Because I understand that an elective elected representative works for the people of the city, not the other way around. I have tried to distinguish myself by communicating in as many different ways as I could think of putting an airplane banner in the air, paying for a billboard, putting things in the post office box, just going out there and talking to people. I am asking for your vote because I'm willing to work for it and I will. The work as a councilman to understand the problems. If city staff says, well, this is what we think is the issue, I will go down there and talk to people in landfill, in wastewater, in transportation. I will talk to the police and firefighters, in addition to talking to the chief. There's always two sides to a story. I will put in the work to do what is best for this city as a whole. When I look at the signs, There are no signs on the east or the south side of the city by other candidates. Why? Reach out to everyone. Everyone's voice matters. Everyone that lives in the city is equal. We are all children of God, and we all deserve to have our door knocked on, to be spoken to, to ask, how can I make the city better for you? What are your concerns?
1: And now, finally, uh, the question I've asked everyone as the last question, which is, like I said, a fun question, is what are some of your favorite things to do in Midland?
0: Spend time with my family, Um, taking my son to Dennis the Menace. In the summertime, when the water features are on, he really enjoys that. Uh, Going to Centennial Park, the sprinklers there, watching a movie in the park going with my wife and my son out to Sibley or to the wildlife preserve. You forget you're in West Texas for a minute when you're out there. Um, Doing things with my niece, whether that's going to the gun range and trying to teach her the importance of the Second Amendment and why that Constitution piece of paper matters. Going to the movies. They have a time in the movie theater when you can take your son with or your child with special needs and just sitting through a movie and understanding things from the eyes of, the one, of, of a child, see, seeing how life is from his perspective. I also like going out and riding a horse. I grew up out on the county when I was a kid, had a horse, had some chickens, had some goats. There's something to be said about the simplicity of being out in the country and just having the stars up, guy, and the moon. Some of the other things that I enjoy, working I enjoy working for a living. I enjoy helping my wife every time I play with the boiler, turn it on at 4 a.m. Um, I could ask her to do that, but you know who'd get the phone call if something went wrong. <laughs> um, being at the counter, talking to people, it really changes your perspective when you just sit down and have a conversation with a Midlander and say, hey, how are things? Well, it's a little bit different. But talking to seniors, you know, my grandpa told me, 50 years ago, I screwed in a light bulb the same way you do now, son. There's value in that. So those are some of the things that I like to do for fun. Um, there's a lot to do in Midland. I think people just don't take the time to look. And the MRT will put something out there. Here are the things to do. You have a farmer's market out at the Museum of the Southwest. You have this micro market at Centennial. Um, there was an Alzheimer's walk this past weekend that I attended um, You know, I, I support that because we have someone in our family that was recently diagnosed. Spend time with your family, spend time with those that we're privileged to have in our life while we have them. But that's pretty much it.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dan. I I really appreciate you joining us today to talk about some of these issues that are on the voters' minds.
0: Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm pretty candid. You can read me like an open book. Um... I'm just trying to earn people's confidence by showing them that I can put in the work for them. And I think every elected official should do that. We have an obligation constituents to do so. So thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Tall City Elections is a nonpartisan and unbiased community project of the League of Women Voters of Midland and the Recording Library of West Texas. The League of Women Voters and the Recording Library did not endorse, support, or oppose any candidates for office or a political party. All candidates for office are invited to participate in this project.